Every picture has its shadows And it has some source of light Blindness, blindness and sound Hi, I'm Ryan, and welcome to Joni Jams, the only podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'll be reviewing Joni's 1980 album, live album, I should say, Shadows and Light. Let's go, Shadows and Light. <laughs> so exciting. Oh my gosh. This live album is truly, I don't know, it's, there's something just so amazing about it. It's vibrant, it's colorful, the band is absolutely amazing. Also, it's kind of the end, because this is her first album released, like, I guess at the start of the 80s. So, this album is kind of around the end of a certain period, you know, like that 70s, late 70s period where Joni was doing the jazz rock fusion. Once we get into the 80s, we start moving way more into like synths and really harsh like rock sounds and wild things and then really intense 80s pop sounds and doggy dog. So we're about to kind of enter a new age in Joni's music, but this is a good final closer, I think. Honestly, like Shadows and Light is just so... It's kind of every, it's everyone playing at their peak, I feel like. Like, everyone in the band, Joni, well, actually, no, that peak is harsh. Everyone's playing at a really good rate. <laughs> That's the nice way to put it. Um, This album came out in September 1980, so just, you know, a few months before 81, and it peaked at 38 on the U.S. Billboard charts, which I actually thought was pretty good because... Usually live albums could either go either way, like not chart at all or do really well. I wish that this live album was Joni's more noticed one or one that people paid more attention to. It seems like Miles for Isles is kind of the more talked about one. But I actually think that the musicians and the music on this one is is better. Oh, I don't want to get... Just don't cancel me for that. I don't know. I think it's a little bit more more exciting. Miles for Owls is great, but I love Joni with a big band. I don't know. Um, the show was recorded in uh, the Santa Barbara Bowl in September 1979 when she was on the Mingus tour because after Mingus, she did this, you know, tour afterwards and she did the tour with some really amazing, amazing people playing. she played with. And uh, I'll go through each person. So there was Pat Metheny who did lead guitar there was Lyle Mays, who did piano and synths. There was Michael Brecker playing saxophone. And then there was Don Elias playing percussion. And obviously Don and Joni were also a relationship at this time. And then we have finally Jocko Pastorius doing electric bass, which is just amazing. Jocko is so talented. But one thing I really took away from this album, like the musician that I really noticed their work well, there was two. Michael Brecker and Don Elias, I feel like, really take charge on this album more than anyone else, including Jocko. Like, those two, Don Elias and Michael Brecker, seem to take such a 
important role. Like there were songs that didn't have any percussion that was added and it just sounds so good. Or there were songs where there weren't like saxophone breaks in between, but they sound so good. I'm not saying all the other band players weren't amazing because they all are. And Jocko's of course amazing, but those two really stood out for me on this live album. I don't know. They really add something. That's kind of the thing about this live album is that it's not necessarily changing the songs completely. Like they, a lot, most of the songs keep a similar pattern and music sound that they had on the albums that they're from rather than like miles for Isles, where they were like basically taking for the roses songs and adding bands to them and new stuff. Like that's not what this album really is. This is more just taking that material are that's already there and just elevating it with a different type of band. So I don't know. And obviously all of the songs that she sings on this one, like on this live album are post well, most of them are post Court and Spark Joni. So like Hissing and Hygiera take a huge role. Mingus takes a huge role. I wish Don Juan's took more of a big role because I love that album so much, but I know some of that stuff would be hard to do at this concert. Um, but still, I would have liked to hear that. The only really early Joni song on this album is Woodstock, which she, even then though, she takes it into this, I don't know, this darker feeling, this late 70s, kind of early 80s vibe. I don't know. It's really good. And then also, I should mention that there was a corresponding film version of this live album that Joni did. It's very similar to like the Refuge of the Roads tour video, if you've seen that, but obviously this is a few years before that that was made, but I really liked the live version of this. Joni's wearing the most insane outfit. She's in like green pants, a purple button-down top. There's like a yellow flower and a blazer. It's 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 pretty crazy, I have to admit. Like the outfit choice is really it's disheartening. <laughs> I'm like, Joni, no. Um, but that's okay. She still, she sounds amazing. And it's fun to see her performing live with the band. And you see like Jacko playing and all that stuff. Like I like the, I like seeing stuff like that. Uh, and they also have some like interspersed footage that she puts on top. Like one time during one of the songs, she like has an ice skater during Hajira, which is really cool. Well, I don't know. It's a little corny. Like, just, just a little bit. It's a little corny in comparison to, I think, the Refuge of the Roads tour one is done a lot better. But still, either way, it's pretty cool to watch. And also, I just was going to say that this is definitely my favorite band I think Joni's ever worked with. I like her 80s stuff a lot, but this band, I feel like, is untouchable. I don't know. I can't really think of any other band work that was at this level well actually I don't, in the late 90s when she was doing some touring around the taming of the tiger era i really liked her band there because it was larry klein was there still i'm trying to think of who else was it brian blade i think he was he was joining her on percussion and he's he's a really good player and I like that band a lot. I really like the Woodstock 98 concert. Like, they do some really good stuff. Like, that's a concert I say you should probably check out if you haven't seen. I think it's really interesting to watch Joni do live work. YouTube is a great source for that. Because a lot of times she changes up the words or material. And you just, like, find different things that are really cool in each one of them. So, personally, yeah, I really like the live recordings of stuff. Especially this one. And... 
it's just, I don't know, it's really fascinating to see how far she's come on this journey, this musical journey. It's kind of, it's it's sad to be ending the 70s period, but I'm excited to kind of go into this new direction that she's about to take, which some people hate that I love. But if you think about just Joni in Song to a Seagull and you compare it to Joni here, it's just, she's grown into such a more confident and more interactive musician. I don't know. She feels, I think having that band back her up really adds so much to her work. Not that her work can't stand alone without a band because it can, but it just adds so much. So yes, that's my little, (laughs) in brief, that's my talking points on the main general stuff about this album. The artwork on this album that I'll talk about, it's, I, I mean, it's not a bad artwork. It's Joni inside profile with a picture of Don Elias like underneath of her like it's they're like morphed together like meshed on top of each other and then just like a stark black background it's it's an interesting choice and I I mean I don't know if I love or hate it I like it but it's not my favorite thing in the entire world I don't know it's it's whatever and I guess it relates that theme of like shadows and light darkness versus the you know picture it's kind of funny that she chose dawn and her i guess because they're a couple at that point i don't know but yeah it's it's interesting you see Joni with her permed hair i love permed hair Joni. well you can kind of see it permed hair Joni is always always a killer actually when she goes into the doggy dog era her perm is like out of control like poodle poodle level curls it's crazy but I really, I, I don't know. I think curly hair is really silly. And it fits with that period, the 80s. You know, we're about to go into this. Joni hates the, well, not hates. She doesn't, she likes her 80s work a lot. But she hates the culture of the 80s or dislikes it a lot. Very. She always calls it like the greedy 80s. So it's kind of interesting that she has this live album, which is so joyful and fun. And then we're about to get into some more heavy hitting material. Not with Wild Things. Wild Things is all about, like, love and stuff. But Doggy Dog, we go into some, you know, angry places. Which I I can appreciate. I like those angry places. I don't know. So, but yeah, the artwork's fine. Also, what are my thoughts on the album being titled Shadows and Light? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know why she felt like that was... Like, I don't know what her thinking behind picking that as the title was. I don't mind it, but... It's an interesting song choice to make to make the title of the album. But I'm not mad at it. It's not nothing. I have no no complaints. But yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say about the artwork or the album itself. So I feel like now would be a good time to get into the songs. There's a lot of songs because it's, you know, a live album and a concert. But I don't think that it'll take too much time. I don't know. I'm just thinking in my head. Okay, so the first song on this album, or track, I should say, because this isn't a song, is the intro. So the intro opens with, like, this, like, audience howling, and there's synths playing Shadows and Light, and then all of a sudden, like, Joni and the Persuasions. Oh, yeah, the Persuasions are with Joni. I forgot. forgot to add that. The band, the Persuasions, um, which are, like, a doo-wop group, they join Joni um, while she's on this tour, the Mingus tour. So they're on this album and like the final three songs, but they also come in in this part. Joni asked them to come on tour because she like met them 
I think it was in San Francisco. I don't know. There's a whole story. Joni always tells this story now whenever she's with Brandy Carlisle. So look it up. <laughs> to quote Madonna, look it up. Okay. Anyways, where were we? So, yes. So it opens with, you know, some audience howling and then every picture has its shadow. And it's, you know, interesting. And then all of a sudden, a movie scene, like audio cuts in. And then it goes back to shadows and light. And then it goes into the song, I'm not a juvenile delinquent. (laughs) And it's just a really interesting way to start the album. It starts it in a sort of like collage sounding thing where, you know, you have Joni singing shadows and light, and then you have a movie clip and then you have, I'm not a juvenile delinquent. What it's trying to tell me I don't know. I honestly have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm not a juvenile delinquent has to do with anything with this album. I guess maybe it kind of references like an earlier time period because the next song is in an earlier time period. I don't I'm not really sure, but, you know, interesting an interesting intro. I have to say I love hearing the audience, though, like interacting and screaming and stuff. It's always so cool. Like, I loved that on Miles for Hours. You could hear the audience, like, asking for requests and stuff like that. The audience is a little bit more quiet here, but still very cool. So, yeah, that's the intro. There's not really much to say about it because it's a short little intro. But then we go into the opening full song, which is And Friends Think It's on Main Street. <laughs> Amor, mama. So fucking good. This is literally an amazing amazing opener it sounds absolutely incredible Joni's voice sounds absolutely incredible on this like and the band rocks it out so well like there's like a groove and a sense of rhythm that's not from like there's more of a sense of rhythm and rock and groove than there even is on the album like and Joni's singing is a lot you can tell that she just did a jazz album throughout this whole entire live you know, concert album thing because her phrasings of lyrics that were once a lot more stagnant or like straightforward now become a lot more jazz style, like style, like a lot more, they're just phrased in a more jazzy way, which I really like because I like jazz music, but I guess some people might not love it, but I love it on all of the songs in here and especially this opener I, I think I prefer this one over the actual album version. I'm not sure 100%, but I think so. I just really, really like it. And the bass on this is so good. The bass really takes a center stage on this one. Jocko really takes center stage on this song, which I like a lot. And Joni kind of, like, belts it out. Like, when she's doing, like, the rolling, rolling, rocking, rolling, like, it, it, she's really belting it out and having fun. You can tell that she's just having the time of her life up there, which I love... I love that feeling when the band is just like, they're just doing what they love and that's making great music. And there's an inner, there's an instrumental break in this song. There's actually on all of the songs in this album, there's so many instrumental breaks, which I like a lot. Cause I like to hear the band kind of pl- like play, you know, their own little part. And the instrumental break here on this song is so good. It's just, It just works so well, and the audience is cheering, and it's just, it's so good. I have to say, I love the way she sings the line, choir boys. You can hear, like, a little strain in her voice, but it sounds really cool. She's like, rock and roll, choir boys. (laughs) I don't know, I really like that part. I like weird, weird ways Joni sings sometimes. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Her soprano is basically going to start disappearing at this point. Not, And that's not a dig. I don't mind if she doesn't have her soprano because I think her voice sounds really good even today. But, like, you kind of notice this is kind of the last period where her voice can go super high. I guess wild things, it can go high, but then it starts to starts to go down because of all the smoking she does, <laughs> most likely. So, yes, I love this in France Lake as a Main Street opening. It's so good. It's so fun. And then it moves into the next Hissing of Summer Lawns track redone. Oh, yeah, that's two in a row. And it's Edith and the Kingpin. And I really, really like this version of Edith and the Kingpin, too. I think I like this version more than the album as well. I don't know. I, I really enjoy it. There's a lot more of, like, a sultry quality to it. And it's very rhythmic. There's such a, there's, like, a very rhythmic feeling. I'm going to say that word so many times this episode, but I don't give a fuck. Whatever. I can say that. Joni's voice totally sounds amazing on this song. Like, it I feel like it, like, glides over every lyric. It's just, it's so beautiful and shimmering, and it totally feels like a hissing of Summerlawn's vibe. I love the part where it's like, the band sounds like typewriters, and then all of a sudden the drums go into a typewriting rhythm. They're like, it's so cool. I love that, that, I don't know, audio choice, that musical choice. I love her singing of sophomore jai because <laughs> I like weird phrasings. I don't know. It's just so good. And the high notes on this song are really good. Like when she does like he tilts the tired faces gently to the spoon, like her voice sounds amazing, like pure gold. And like the band on the song is more subtle, but it sounds amazing and like it's floating and feels like it's just a fantasy song with a very like sultry vibe. There's some, some little ad lib she does. Like they don't look away. No, which I like. I just, I enjoy hearing those little, you know, word rephrasings, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great version of this song. I'm not sure. I think I like it. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say I like it more than the album one and get, you know, in trouble, but I really like this one a lot. Okay, <laughs> so now we're leaving Hissing of Summer Lawns and we're going to go take a pit stop in the world of Hygiera and go on to one of my favorite Joni Mitchell songs, which is No Regrets, Coyote. <laughs> or Coyote, I guess is how normal people would say it. So this version of Coyote is really, really good. The guitar work on this song is just like, it's just like a masterclass in guitar playing, basically. Also, there's a drumming done by Don Elias on this song that is so... It adds so much to this song. It gives it a way different vibe than the album version. Like, I think he's doing, like, conga drums. I'm not 100% sure, but the drumming sounds so good. And it, I feel like it sounds like Coyote, but in, like, the Don Juan's Reckless Daughter world. Like, I feel like that's what this version is. It's, like, the Don Juan Coyote. And I know Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, the song, and Coyote are, like, versions of each other or, you know, continuations. But, yeah, I really, really like the like the musical styling on this song. I like the album version better, but still, I really, really love this version. Joni's phrasing on this is great, and Jocko's bass is great. I love the way she line reads on this song. Like, when she does, 
Well, of course, when she does, like, no regrets, Coyote. Or how she does, like, why'd you have to get so drunk and lead me on that way? Like, she flirts so much when she sings the song. Like, there's such a flirty quality that she, like, has. And the guitar makes... Oh, the guitar makes a really weird sound. So she does the line, like, then a hawk was playing with him. And all of a sudden, you just hear, like, a... So, like, if you're re-listening to it, point out that one. Weirdly, there's, like, a odd chord that just comes in out of nowhere. I don't know if it was the band messing up or something, but I thought it was really interesting. And it's just, I don't know, I really like this version. I love the way she sings it. Like, when she's singing, like, waitress's legs and starts laughing, it's just, it's really fun. And the band, like, totally plays it out at the end. And, yeah, I mean, some of these songs, there's not much to say besides it's a great live version of it. You know, there's not too many new inventive things. But again, I really like this version a lot, and the band sounds great. And so, yeah, now we can move into one of three um, Mingus songs. Yeah, Joni does three Mingus songs on this album. I had to rethink in my head. I was like, I think she does three. <laughs> yes. And this first one is uh, Charles' melody to Joni's lyrics. Actually, both of the Mingus songs that are in the beginning are Charles music and Joni's lyrics. And the first one is goodbye pork pie hat. And the sax intro in the song is really good and sets like a really, really cool mood. And I feel like Joni's voice sounds way more comfortable in the jazz music than it ever has before. Like, I, I don't know. I think I prefer this one to the Mingus version. If I really think about it. There's just a quality to it. Oh my god, why did I sound like I was drinking? There's just, there's a quality to it that I really like. And it's just really well done. And I love, oh my god, her voice when she does, When Lester took him a wife. It just sounds, it's so good. I love Jazz Joni and her phrasings of things. And I love when she's talking about, like, the crowds being happy and loud. Suddenly, all of a sudden, like, the crowd just starts, like, screaming. It's so fun to listen to. And there's a big instrumental break in this one, as well as the, the dry cleaner from Des Moines has one, too. And the instrumental break here has, like, the sax just, you know, doing amazing things. And Joni's jazz scatting over that. And she's just, like shining over the band it's so good and it experiments with more rhythm i feel like than the mingus one did like there's more of a mm, percussion feeling on it or percussive sorry to my english majors feeling on it and i love the ad lib she does where she's like don't i mean we look up and there's a sign up on the awning and there's two new little musicians dancing like there's those rephrasings that she does that are so much more jazzy and interesting and i like that she calls out don don and me we look up and because I, I think the actual song um goodbye pork pie hat that last verse where she's talking about like seeing dancers i think she's talking about her and don like walking and seeing them if i'm not mistaken i don't think i am because i'm usually not in these things um <laughs> but yeah goodbye pork pie hats really well done i definitely enjoy this version a little bit more than the actual album version as well as the next track uh, which is the dry cleaner from des moines it this is so oh my god it th this whole album i'm just gonna be like this song is so good i don't want to be boring like that but this song is so good the the percussion on this song is insane and joni's vocals are literally perfect 
perfection. And some of the parts that I thought were so good. So she does like the beginning, the drums kind of leading her in. Like there's this whole percussive, like, which sounds really good. And then Joni sings, keep your bows all around me. And all of a sudden there's this like symbol, but like, I don't know what it's called. It's this isn't, no, it's not a symbol. There's something on a drum where it's like, it makes this like sound, like it pauses and there's just like this, which is, I don't know. It sounds really good to me personally. And this, this version feels more, this version has more of a percussive feeling. Whereas the album version is a lot more flashy and you know, I don't, I don't know. The album version is a, is a different vibe. The sax in this one is really good and it brings like a different energy, which I like. Um, and I think I, I think I prefer this over the original, but it's, it's just really, really well done. And it's just, I don't know. The band really rocks it out, especially at the end. It builds up. It's like, it ends in like this rush of kind of ending that Mingus moment that they were having, I guess. But yeah, it's super good. I really wish more people talked about this song. It just, it's so fun. Can't we have fun anymore? <laughs> Whatever happened to good old fucking fun, right? No? Okay, well, I enjoy fun. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed the fun from this album, all right? I don't know. Okay, so <laughs> before I keep repeating myself, let's go. So now we're about to go into a four, oh, I guess three actual songs, but a kind of four-part series of Hygiera songs, pretty much, which are Amelia, a solo by Pat Metheny, Hygiera, and then Black Crow. So we're about to go into that little period. And it starts off with the song Amelia. It was just a false alarm. <laughs> this version of Amelia is, it's, it's very different than the album version. I feel like it feels a lot more raw and strung back rather than like the album version, which is a lot more windswept. It has like Joni's voice on here has a little bit more pain and a little bit more maturity. I feel like when she sings some of the, some of the verses when she sings them, they have, I don't know. It's almost like an anger. Some of them are really, she's really upset, especially like the maybe I've never really loved verse. It seems like she's the realization that she's never really loved and she spent her whole life in clouds at icy altitudes. It seems like that feeling really hits her harder than, than it had when she did this originally. And yeah, it's more, it, it's, it, it feels like an acoustic version of the song rather than the, and I know it's not acoustic, stop coming for me, but the album one has more of a sonic feeling. Like there's more of a symphonic quality, not symphony like strings, but you know what I mean? Uh, there's the strumming pattern that this song has on guitar for the live version is interesting. It has like a good, a little, like she hits the guitar every few every few strums, which I, I always love when she does that. And yeah, re listening to this version again, this happened on Miles for Hours too. It's like when I re-listen to these songs in the live context, like some of the lyrics hit even harder. And so I love like the line, some have found paradise, others just come to harm. I mean, it's just so, it's so good. And the final verses of the song are just absolute perfection. And like the line readings that she does of them are just so great. Like when she does beautiful, foolish arms, it just sounds so good. 
And yeah, this is, this is kind of the more, well, not the more heartbreaking, but it has, there's a heartbreak and there's an anger in this live version that I think is a lot different than the one you hear on the album. I don't know. And I guess maybe that's just because our voice is maturing, but it sounds really, really good. And I really love the band on here. And so also this song ends with Pat Metheny. His guitar starts kind of coming in at the end of the song. He slowly kind of puts himself into the song. And then all of a sudden when it fades out, it fades into this, I think it's three minutes long, this solo that he does. Like she gives Pat basically a full solo. Pat and Don Elias get to get like both get solo moments on this album. And then it's weird because in the live version, she gives or the, not the live version, the recorded version like that you can watch on YouTube. She gives Jocko the solo. I wish that Jocko had the solo had a solo on this album because his playing is just so good. But still, everyone it's still Don and Pat are great. And Pat's solo section is really good. And it interconnects kind of Amelia and the song Hajira really well, kind of blending those two together and it just, it gels perfectly. I mean, he has, when he plays, he plays with such an airy quality to his playing. Some of the chords are a little, are a little, are a little creepy. I don't know. Not creepy in a bad way, but like there's an inquiry to them, which I really like. And he's, he's a great, he's a great player and he does some like little scales in his playing and it's just, it's really well done. And I like at one point, like near the end, it starts like the synth start coming in and that sounds really cool. Like I love the synth vibe underneath his guitar. It sounds great. And then it fades more and more finally. And then you end up at the song Hajira, but it's a great solo. I, I really like it a lot. I wouldn't just listen to it. If I, I wouldn't listen to it on its own. Probably I like, I just don't love good like in like solo guitar songs without any music or without any other like music or singing, but it's, it's really well done. And then it goes into another amazing reworking. Oh my God. Why do I sound like I'm drunk of another amazing, I promise I'm not drunk (laughs) version of a Hajira song, which is the title track Hajira. And it's really a really great version. This version has a, here's the word again, drink. Every time I say this word, a great, rhythmic quality to it there's just I, I just, it's just dawn adds so much and i love the song hydra when the percussion on it is really intense if you ever watch um if you ever look up Joni doing herbie hancock's like all-star thing they do a version of hydra on there and it's there's this there's this like beat or rhythm to it that's very fast and it sounds really cool i like I like that version of the song. I don't know. Like, that's preferably my favorite type of version of it. But yeah, it's really, it sounds really, really good. And the, I just always, anytime I listen to the song Hygiera, I always just love the opening chords of it. Like the dun 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 It's just so ominous and so, so beautiful. There's something haunting about it, lonely about it, but it's so good. And this is the one with the film version. It has the ice skater on it and it like overlaps with her performing. Also, I love Joni changes the lyrics of this song every now and then. I have to admit she does like to change the lyrics up 
And one of the main ones is the song is the part of the song in the original version where she says um, strains of Benny Goodman coming through the snow of the pinewood trees on here. She does strains of Michael Brecker coming through the snow in the pinewood trees. Michael Brecker being the saxophone player on this this live version. And then he like comes in after like she says his name. It's so cool. But sometimes she I've seen her do it in the 90s where she does strains of um oh no she goes listen I thought I heard Miles Davis coming through the snow in the pinewood trees. She does Miles Davis. Who else? Oh, she does someone else too. Oh, ooh, I'm not gonna be able to remember. But someone else. She changes those lyrics a little bit. Um, she also says when I'm all instead of always bound and tied to someone, she does when I'm always hung up on someone. Interesting little lyric change. And the saxophone really, really underscores this song very well. I really like it. I hadn't heard it. I haven't heard the album version since I did the review of it many, many moons ago. So I can't remember if the saxophone there was as intense, but it's really, really, it really works well on this one. And then the final two minutes of this song are just instrumentation that just add a whole, you know, solo vibe to it without her singing it. And it's just, Joni clearly loves playing this song. She does it throughout her whole career. Um, well, up until the nineties, I guess. And she just, well, not the 90s, never mind. She does it on Travelog. So, she, yeah, she loves this song, and I can see why. It's just, and this live version of it is amazing. It's really well done. And, yeah, I don't think I have really much else to say about it, but it's so good. And then we go into another freaking beautiful, or not beautiful, but intense and great version of a Hajira song. The last one, not the last Hajira song on the album, but. The last one that she does in this little quad, which is Black Crow. And what I will say about this version is that it sounds like pure cocaine. It, it It's basically like snorting coke and then they all decided to do this song. Like the drums at the beginning are like, like they, they're going so fast. Like it's like a revving of a car engine and the, the band's like, dun, 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 dun. It's just, it's so good. And then when Joni cuts in with the, there's a crow flying, because I love her little high note there. It's just, oh my God, the rock quality of this song is so good. She, like they, everyone's just rocking out and playing so fluidly and loosely with like Joni's darker kind of vocals cutting in. It's so good. And the saxophone is aggressive on this song. Aggressive in a great way, but it's so aggressive and how am I, and she does like, how am I ever going to know my home? Like there's a growl. It's, oh, it's so good. And the rocking out section in the middle, because this is like, I mean, they do this a lot in this album, but there's a little middle rock out session again. And it's just, it's intense. It's harsh, but that's what this song is. This song is about the exhaustion of travel. And you can tell that there's, like that feeling behind the music here. Like when she does like looked at my haggard face in the bathroom light, like that line alone kind of sets this darker quality and it's just really, really well done. I like this version probably on par with the album version, which is saying a lot because it's really hard to come up to the quality of any of the songs on Ajira, but this one is really well done. I, I don't know if I like it more or less, but I think it's, it's really, really good. So, yeah, and then the song fades out with the drums kind of coming in, Don's congas coming in, and then all of a sudden, 
we go into the next solo on the album, which is not, I guess, yeah, solo, I guess, which is Don solo, Don Elias's solo. And that's just him playing the conga drums. And I love this solo so, so much. So this solo is basically supposed to be the prefix to Dreamland. Like it kind of goes into that song after. And I think it just sets that feeling so well. There's something hypnotizing about the way he plays the drums. Like the skill that he has playing is so, so good. And it's just, it's so well done. Dawn is an amazing percussive player and I've always adored this solo I listen to this solo on its own I, that's how much I like this solo and I like good drumming so I guess that's why um I thought it would be interesting like since we're in this little solo right here to talk about Don and Joni's relationship for literally like three seconds but they were dating for a few years around this time it was from like 1976 I think to 1980 and their relationship's interesting because Joni alleges that Don was very abusive to her and that he would beat her. And the reason she left him was because they were on vacation and he tried to beat her and she decided to leave. And I don't know, their relationship seems to have been not such a healthy one. And if the allegations uh, about Don are true, that's really, that's really upsetting. And it's, it's sad to know that that happened to Joni. Um, and obviously, I, I believe her, but it's just really sad. And it kind of, it definitely, like, tarnished or taints or tarnishes a little bit of the feelings I have about Don Elias himself. But as a musician, he's, you know, really, really great at his craft. And this solo is really good. And it cuts into a pattern at the end that slowly moves into the dreamland drumming pattern. And so then it like fades into the song dreamland. And this again, like the Don Juan's version is the, just the percussion and Joni version of dreamland. I mean, I think it's either Don or someone else sings back up a little bit, but it's that stripped version of it. I like dreamland with music on it. Like I like it with, some chords and I, I love the version with Los Lobos. That's like my favorite version, I think, of the song. But, you know, it's still really good. And I like the way kind of Joni plays off of the rhythm that Dawn throws at her. She really is great at, you know, taking those drumming patterns and making making them work for her voice and the lyrics on the song. Speaking of the lyrics, she does mix up verses on this song, which are interesting. Like she did like rearranges I think it's one or two of them, and I don't know if that was, like, intentional or not, but it was just something I noticed. And uh, I liked this version a lot. I think I do like this version more than the Don Juan's version, because there feels like a more of, like, an attitude and feeling behind it, rather than the version on on uh, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. I don't know, like, you just feel there's something more here than on that version, but... Uh, it's it's really really good. I was thinking, in fact, I was trying to think in my head for a second. That's why I paused about which other Don Juan songs I would want on here. I feel like I would either want like Cotton Avenue or Off Night Backstreet. Like I feel like those would work the best on this album. Like just with what the vibe is. But you know, sadly we didn't get that. I wish I could have had that though. And yeah, I, I like this version of Dreamland a lot. I like when the band and her kind of talk to each other a little bit in between verses. Like, one of the verses, someone's like, go ahead. And then 
or when she does like hot cows in New York City, someone in the back is like, uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> like they just make these like fun little, little kind of communication, which is like fun. And I, I think it's Don. I'm not sure. Well, maybe, maybe it's not Don because he's playing the drums. I don't know if he would be able to like do speak and play the drums at the same time. I feel like he's very into the drumming, but maybe I don't know. Maybe he can. But yeah, that's the Dreamland. Or the Dreamland. That's Dreamland. It's really. It's a really fun version of the song, but again, I prefer Dreamland with music on it, so it's not my favorite version in the world, but yeah. So then after that, we go into a Court and Spark moment for a hot second, which we do Free Man in Paris, and I really, really like Free Man in Paris on the Court and Spark album, but this version to me triumphs, or tri- yeah, tri- triumphs, triumphs, the Court and Spark version to, for me. The band is incredible in this song. If There's just such a quality of musical genius on this song. It's so good. And the phrasing of lyrics are so good. Joni like, has more of a jazz rhythm. Like She's like, I felt unfettered and alive and no one's future to decide. Like There's more of a jazz phrasing to it. I don't know. It's, it's so good. And I just like feel such joy listening to this track. I tend to listen to this one way more than I do the uh the what am i trying to say court and spark version i i and i truly have no notes besides the fact that this version is so good it's just so well done and i love it so much so yeah freeman in paris i don't know there's not too much to say besides it's a really good version of it so then after that she does a little band introduction where she just introduces everyone and you know stuff like that i wish she would have introduced herself like she did on miles for isles and said and me the chirp but she doesn't do that here sad emoji why couldn't we be lucky like that um and then we go into the last hydera track on the album which is furry sings the blues and so this is a way kind of like the what she did with amelia this is a way more stripped back version of this song and there's a lot more emotion in this one too hmm Maybe it's just because she's maturing, but the band is a lot more quiet and looming. And it feels like this, she, if like the album version on Ajira, um, excuse me, it sounds like she's telling a story, like a live encounter. And it's a lot less looking back and sad, but this version has like a lot more of a, you know, like tale of this you know, furry singing the blues while his town's getting torn down. It's there's something more sad about it. And her singing on it is really, really good. Like when she does like aimed at the hot blood of being no one. Um, Some of the ad libs she does on this one are so funny where she does like, I got a woman on Monday. She shines up my shoes. My Tuesday woman gives me pleasure in the blues. <laughs> like those are the very silly, silly haha Joni. And it's just a really, really good version of it. Like, I I really love the band's kind of silent but present quality. Another ad lib I really like I was looking at is uh, when I'm looking up and down old Beale Street. Or she's like, everybody's fly in their finery. Um, (laughs) It's really good. And if you watch the live version of this concert, I do have to viewer discretion advised for the person that shows up while she sings a verse and that is the character art nouveau (sighs) yeah 
that's that's my reaction to what I just Joni seriously but okay we won't go into that <laughs> I don't want to damper this this episode so yeah the ending fades out into this little creepy kind of quality I said it feels like the city's kind of straining away and then yeah that ends sort of the little that ends kind of all of the band reworkings of Hygiera songs stuff like that and then it goes into the next three tracks are all tracks done with the persuasions. She says, I'm going to bring the persuasions back out here. We'd like to rock and roll, you know. <laughs> and she does a uh, the first one of three she does with the persuasions is she does Why Do Fools Fall in Love, which is a cover of a Frank Lyman and the Teenagers song. And it's really fun. You can tell Joni loves singing these 50s rock songs because that's what she grew up listening to. Like Joni used to love going to 50s rock dances, like hand jive stuff. And she loves singing this song. Like, she still sings it. I think, yeah, she still sings it today. Because I think I saw her do it at Gorge. I think she did did this song as well. Like, she's still doing it. She's done it her whole career. It's a great song. And she clearly has a lot of fun doing it. And the persuasions sound great. It's just a great cover of a classic song. There's not too much to say about it rather than that. But the band sounds great. Yeah, it's just... It's a really good cover. I really I really have fun listening to it. Um, I saw someone one time say that she sounds bad singing it, but I think she sounds really good singing it, so whatever. Um, and then we go into the title track of the album, which is Shadows and Light. And it's a really, really... I like this version way more than the Hissing of Summer Lawns version, personally. There's, there's just a quality to it that I like a lot more. And I don't know, something about the audience on this song. It feels like they're a lot more present for some reason. And I just really, really enjoy the synth work and the persuasion per, um, to add a lot to it. And I, the final verse, if you listen, when she's like, critics of all expressions, all of a sudden the synths really build in and it feels like so melodic and beautiful and I just think Joni really loves the sentiment behind this song. I already t- we talked about it on the Hissing of Summer Lawns episode, kind of what the song means. But it's really, it's a really great version of this song. I I prefer it more because it has more of a melodic feeling to it than the Hissing of Summer Lawns version. But it's it's great. I I love this version, and yeah, I think that's all I have to say about it. But then we go into God Must Be a Boogeyman. And at the beginning, Joni does this laugh where she's like, ha ha ha. And it kind of like, it's very creepy, but it's it's funny. And so she does God Must Be a Boogeyman. This version has a lot more rhythm to it. Drink. Um, <laughs> there's a lot more of a rhythmic quality, again, than the Mingus one, which is which is fun. And Jocko's bass, of course, sounds great on this one. And the audience really sings along and claps. And they do like the God Must Be a Boogeyman part. And it's it's a really, really good version of the song. Joni plays off Dawn's percussion really well with her jazz phrasing and stuff. And I like the Mingus version still. I like that one more because um, that one's a little bit more uh, eerie and kind of has a creepier, interesting quality to it. But this version's still great. Still great. Not not going to be a hater. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I think, all I have to say. These... Those tracks kind of, there's not too much to say rather than they're a good live version of it. I don't know. And then we have the final track, which is Woodstock. Ah, The only 
kind of pre-jazz Joni track on the album that's now been transformed into this dark solo guitar and Joni singing number where it's just Joni and her electric guitar singing. And the audience clearly responds when she starts singing, I came upon a child of God. Like they clearly are happy to hear her do some piece of her old material in a way. And there's just a lot more of a sense of maturity and reflection while singing this number. I really, really like it a lot. And the guitar feels darker. It feels the urgency to like get back to the garden as she sings feels a lot more present. And it's really, it's a really great version of the song. It's very different from the original version on just piano. And it's very, very different than the Miles for Isles version because that version had more of like the Crosby, Stills and Nash rock one to it. But this one has such a, I don't know, a darker, more reflective feeling, which I really, really like. And she does sing this version, like, of the song in, like, the 80s and 90s. Like, she keeps this version of the song up, like, doing it a lot, which I really like, this stripped guitar version of it a lot. And just, it's so, it's it's fascinating to hear her do her older her older material in this you know, almost 80s time period. It's it's really interesting. And I feel like the guitar sounds like mystical almost. It sounds really cool. And when the song is over, it fades out into like inquiry and the audience is applauding. And it's just, it's really, really good. And that's, that's the final song. Oh yeah, okay. So that's all the songs. <laughs> for, you know, for lack of better terms, those are all the songs. I just have to say that this album, I think, is my favorite Joni live album. I don't know if I said that earlier, but it's just, I love all of the songs on this this one. There's not a bad track, really. There, I really can't name a bad track on this song. But yeah, so I'll go into the ratings. Of course, I give it a 10 out of 10 because it is a 10 out of 10. It's really good. I don't know. What else can I say? It's great. My favorite song on the album is either Free Man in Paris or Dry Cleaner from Des Moines, I think. I think. I don't know. I'm pretty sure those are my favorites. But I it could change on the day. My least favorite is Pat Solo. No hates Pat Metheny. It's just because I don't really love guitar, guitar solo things. But that's it. So, yeah. Okay. That's that's Miles for Isles. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, I feel like I kind of breezed through it. But <laughs> maybe I didn't. But, yeah. It's a great live album. I love it. I really recommend going back and listening to it. I wish more people did and talked about this album but I'm really really excited to go into the 80s and go into Wild Things Run Fast I love that album it's gonna be really fun to talk about um but yeah Shadows and Light a great a great live live album in the second half of the 70s you know spectrum is kind of where it goes through and it's it's really really good um I appreciate you all for listening thank you so much and uh yeah, I'll see you next time on Wild Things Run Fest. <laughs> Thank you.